Sasswood is a show about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, the hopers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit our Facebook page. This is Sasswood, a show about Bigfoot. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Matsky, and I'm joined today by my son, Andy Matsky. Greetings and salutations to all. Wow. To all. To all. Not just, you know, every other person that listens, or maybe that one person, but to all. That's the most all-inclusive introduction I think Sasswood has ever done. Everyone. Everyone's, Everyone's allowed to listen to Come on to in. Anyone can. Everyone, <laughs> everyone will. Invite your friends to listen to Sasswood. Oh, like our friends who listen on Wadsworth Community Radio, 97.1 FM. Now, there's been a little bit of confusion as I have tuned in on successive Saturday nights because I thought it was airing at 8 o'clock, and, but it's actually been starting around 7 o'clock. So those of you who like to check out the program on Wadsworth Community Radio, hopefully they'll get that straightened out here in the near future. Um, but we do really like being on the air, and uh, hopefully that gets straightened out. So what's going on? How's it going? Great. Today has been <laughs> a great day. We have it's kind of been a tired day, but it's been good. Um we've been to a basketball game recently. That was pretty fun. Um very uneventful basketball game, but still pretty fun. And what else have we been doing? I forget. We watched uh Star Wars. That's right. Empire Strikes Back. Empire Strikes Back. I love that. He loves that? I love that. <laughs> mm, I love that. Okay. And for more of us loving Star Wars, tune into Monsterland Ohio Radio, where we show even more of our nerdy sides. Yes. You thought we w- weren't a nerd before? Tune into that and let's go. How could they be even more nerdy? So we've got a good program plan for today. In just a couple minutes, we are going to be talking to Brian Borgman, a Bigfoot buddy of ours and somebody who has a lot of different irons and a lot of different fires and is really diversified in his approach to all things cryptid. So uh, I guess that makes sense as to why we would get along with him so well and uh, look forward to bringing him on to the show. Also, I'd like to begin today by going to the Sasswet News Desk where it has come to my attention that a new photo is making the rounds <laughs> on social media. and This is our first Sasswit News Desk, Sasswit News Desk, as opposed to Topo. This is our first news. This is cool. And you were here yeah. to see it. <laughs> Aren't you glad you were here? You can be, you'll always remember where you were when you heard the first Sasswit News Desk. Episode 103. I'm afraid so. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. I wish you could forget. Okay, well, this, you people who listen to the show probably have seen this, uh, making the rounds on Facebook and other assorted internet outposts, but this is from the uh, Mirror, and this is a picture that um, it has been floated as a... Uh, Bigfoot figure in an Irish forest, but others say it could be the ghost of a passenger killed in a plane crash. Um, 
Let me just read a little bit of this to set the context, and then we'll we'll talk about it. A, a mom was spooked out when her dogs alerted her to the outline of a furry creature many believe is all caps, Bigfoot, while strolling through a quote-unquote haunted forest. <laughs> Maxine Colfield said her mutts used their sixth sense to seek out the creepy figure among the trees as they walked through uh, Slavonora. In County Antrim, North Ireland. I'm sorry. I, We're shouting North. We're sorry, S L I E V E A N O R R A. And I'm sure there is a really cool way to pronounce that that has escaped me completely. But it's in Northern Ireland, rumored to be haunted by a fatal plane crash. Spooky tales have been told about ass during October <laughs> 1942 when a U.S. Air Force B-17 Flying Fortress bomber crashed into a mountain there, killing eight of the ten people on board. So uh, the picture that's shown, Andy, maybe you would be better at describing Describing that. it. Okay. So what there is, is there is a forest. It kind of seems to be maybe pine trees. So like, you know, the the trunk of the tree going straight down, then the little branches sticking out. Um, it's winter, so there is no leaves on the trees, and it's kind of, there's some snow on the ground. And there appears to be about in the middle of the two trees a black shape that looking at it now resembles more of a cartoon bear than anything, quote-unquote cartoon bear. And there are two yellow circles, one showing you where it is, <laughs> and one's more, you know, on, on our photo, it's then the... Super zoomed. The super zoomed version of the photo. And I know they call it Bigfoot in this, but as... A amateur cryptozoologist, I have to say this is probably stump squatch instead. It's nothing. There's nothing here. This is if anything, this is a really dark stump. That's kinda cool. I mean, considering how it's all black and then there's that one bit that's brown. I see nothing humanoid about this. It's a bear. R A Stump Squatch. I think the sixth sense is probably what carried on to it being a Bigfoot. See, to me, the sense of scale here is... It's a two-foot-tall it, Bigfoot. It's not... You're right. It's like a furry garden gnome peeking out <laughs> from behind it's a Ireland. tree. Um, well, here's the thing. If this is a picture of Bigfoot, then I probably have some pictures of Bigfoot out there that you can go, well, see, to the left of the tree, here's a dark, uniform dark shape. This is nothing. I don't know why this is... News. So does this hurt or help? Hurt. Bigfoot studies. It hurts? Hurts. It hurts me to look at it. <laughs> Why do you say I'm that? I'm straining though? my eyes to see. But I think the more and more quote unquote Bigfoot photos that are out there that clearly don't show it, people who are outside the community are will maybe think when something does come around, it's like, oh, it's just another crazy nothing there. When there might actually be something there. So, it hurts. Okay. Fair enough. Fair what, enough. Do you think it hurts or helps? I think it hurts in the sense that it goes, you know, through all these different avenues online. And it's it's basically played as a joke. I would 
have to assume on, in the case of most of these mainstream outlets, they just put this mm-hmm. on there as clickbait or just something to laugh at, you know, to, to cut the tension of otherwise mm-hmm. uh, intense then, world news. And then the ghost <laughs> idea, the plane crash, and then the ghost of the person. Well, that, it, yeah, it's a classic weird. case of using one unexplained phenomena uh, to explain yes. the other. It's either a Bigfoot or it's a ghost. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, and I, you know, listeners of the show know that I'm very sympathetic to Bigfoot, of course. I, we've done 103, 102 episodes talking about Bigfoot. But now the one thing that I will say is I had a, a very thoughtful comment, and I forget if this was in a written form. I think it might have been a written comment or a letter that was sent to Sasswat once upon a time. and Or maybe it was a conversation. But it was uh, somebody was, was talking to us about Bigfoot, and they said that maybe Bigfoot is a ghost, like a, a ghost of something from the past, which I had, to be honest, I'd never thought about that before in those terms. And again, it's not an explanation because you're you're using one thing that is unprovable to try and prove another but i just thought it would that's what the first thing i thought of when i saw that headline and the um, byline to it was it reminded me of that statement of maybe bigfoot is a you know ghost Mm -hmm. of a proto-human or a uh like a lost tribe or something like that sure okay i mean but the minute you go down that trail then you're not really explaining anything it's just Mystery on top of mystery, which is cool to think about. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking for answers, it's just a no. It's a dead end. Anything else on? I don't. White Irish Bigfoot. <laughs> My white Irish Bigfoot. The sweetest Bigfoot. <laughs> um, no, it's just, it's weird. And would this be the first photo from Ireland? If so, I feel bad for Ireland's first photo of Bigfoot because it's a blob. And if it wasn't for the yellow circle, handy yellow circle, I would have no clue what I'm supposed to be looking at. I'd probably find something in the way background going, oh, is that it? And then it turns out the Bigfoot, quote unquote, is right there. It's bad. All right. Let's move on and make a trip to the Bigfoot bookshelf. What do you got for us today? Well, this week, the book is The Boy Who Saw Bigfoot by Marion T. Place. I read it just like I said I would, and spoiler alert, I love it. It is such a good Bigfoot book. And it's it's really just such a good book in my mind. Um, it's about a boy named... What's his name? I'll look it up. Okay. I think it's... Handy real book right yes. here. Yes. Joey Wilson. Joey Wilson. That's the of, first sentence. My name is Joey, Joey Wilson. Wilson. It's call me Ishmael for the Bigfoot <laughs> fiction world. Right there. Call me Joey Wilson. <laughs> okay. Um, so it's about a boy named Joey Wilson who's been bounced around from foster family to foster family. And he's a bad attitude. Bad attitude, 10-year-old. 
swears and cusses, says all this bad stuff he does. I was like, <sighs> and then he gets placed in a home in was it Washington? Mm-hmm. And it's awesome. He has this nice foster mom and foster dad. He's got a cat named what's it? Bingo. Mm-hmm. Um, he has. He gets to, it's in the summer, so he gets to go hiking and fishing with his foster mom because his foster dad's a logger. And his, the rule with going hiking and fishing is you have to brush your teeth, if not, no hiking and fishing. And That's like the easiest rules to live ever. by ever. Yeah. And so then he goes to school because summer's over. Well, during summer vacation, um... They smell something weird once in the woods, and then there's these big footsteps, and the mom hides Joey like they hide in a bush, and she's always being secretive, and the dad keeps saying, watch after her, and he's, Joey's like, why? And um, so then at the end of the summer, they see Bigfoot, and it's this juvenile Bigfoot. And so... Then he goes to school, and over the summer, what did you do? And of course, Joey says, he wouldn't say, I just went fishing, or I just went hiking. Of course, Joey has to bring up, he saw Bigfoot. And that causes this whole field trip, and so on. Excellent. So, let me, <laughs> let me ask you a question. If someone, why would, like, let's say we're trying to persuade a Bigfoot fan to pick up this junior fiction and read it what could we tell them about this book that would kind of pique their interest um it doesn't really if you're worried about it because it's a fiction book about it making fun of the whole idea of there being bigfoot it doesn't i really enjoy that it takes a very very realistic approach and it's really a smart book you can definitely, it's, I love the way Marion T. Place writes this. It's a lot like on the track of Bigfoot. It takes it seriously. It's a very lighthearted book. So if you're scared also that because it's fiction, it's going to be all the Bigfoot's evil, wants to rip every person in half if they run across them. It's not that. It's very realistic. And it takes a very, I want to maybe say humble approach. Um... It talks about because Sarah, the mom in it, uh, saw Bigfoot once and she told people and she got ridiculed about it. It takes a very real approach and I enjoy that. And it's kind of cool because they mention on the track of Bigfoot in it. It's like, teacher read this book on the track of Bigfoot. And it's like, I've read that. And it's a really, it's cool because it's from an experienced author at a on a really you know interesting topic especially if you're into bigfoot it's interesting to you already and i just it's such an enjoyable book in my mind i in my mind really this book even though like the last third of the book wouldn't make any sense this book could be about joey wilson seeing a pack of elk and it would be a great book i don't know how he would dress up as a pack of elk <laughs> but as I said, last third wouldn't make sense. But I really love this book. 
I did too. And rereading it just to be able to talk about it today brought back all kinds of memories for me. The one thing that I'll say, because you really have said it all very well, is I like how she works the Ape Canyon incident yes. into it as well. Does a great Marion T. Place description of that. And like you said, dropping the on the track of Bigfoot reference in there, I thought was just a nice little wink of the eye to the experienced readers. So definitely we uh, recommend The Boy Who Saw Bigfoot by Marion T. Place. It was published, I believe, in 1979. And there are still copies widely available in various online uh, booksellers and so forth. All right, it is now time for our first Sasswood interview of the new year, 2017. And we're really excited to bring you a good friend of ours. If you have been to a crypto-themed conference in Ohio or West Virginia over the last couple of years, and chances are you uh, may have crossed paths with our guest for today, his name is Brian Borgman, and he's from Central Ohio, and he's got a lot of great perspectives, a lot of uh, things going on. So, Brian, welcome to Sasswhat. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. What's going on down there in old Central Ohio, former stomping grounds of mine? Yeah, uh, well, it's it's uh, kind of dreary outside today, but uh, I on these kind of days, I like to spend time in the studio, either sculpting or working on new music or whatever I feel inspired to do. Great. I wanted to start off talking with you today, Brian, about cryptids and specifically um, how, what was your introduction to cryptids or, or what got you into that part of, uh, you know, what, what fired your interest in cryptids and cryptozoology? Um, I think it goes back earliest would be, um, just learning about Nessie, um, and some Scottish lore and stuff. Even before that, I was really into, um, mythology growing up. And so as I started branching out from Greek mythology and started getting into like Norse mythology and, and Celtic, um, just started learning about different creatures uh, and then that kind of led to modern-day legends and lore um, and things. And like I said, it started with Nessie, kind of. And um, then I grew up, actually, in the Hartsville area. So I grew up in the, the northeast Ohio area a bit. Um, so, you know, we've got the, the Lake Erie monster. And um, I don't know, I guess just sort of that was kind of curious. Plus, in Hartsville in the early 80s, we had the Muck Monster, which was just a intentionally fictional um character but it was a, a lot of fun and um i can remember going and seeing people dressed up as the monk monster or getting a coloring book when i was a little kid and um just always been fascinated with that kind of stuff and for the years um i think probably my my fascination and, and even interest with, with bigfoot more came out of um a love for for yeti um more, I think, just because I like the snow, snow aspect of it, and I know there's some debate on whether the, they're even the same type of creature or not. Um, certainly, a hairy hominid of sorts, but um, always really, I think Yetis were my my favorite uh, Bigfoot type creature. Um, still are, um, and so over the years, um, then when I moved to uh, Central Ohio, 
started getting a little more familiar, especially with the the Mothman Prophecies movie when that came out. That kind of really sparked some interest in me in other things that I hadn't really been familiar with before. Um, So especially uh, Mothman, which is definitely one of my favorites. Um, And I love the the Flatwoods Monster and the Braxton County Monster. The West Virginia stuff just seems to be really cool and creepy. Um, So I like to uh, make my way down there every once in a while and uh, learn about those things and visit with people and and go to shows in that area especially. Yeah, I want to talk to you a little bit more about those um, in a little bit. But take me back to the Muck Monster. Because this is okay. this is awesome. Because I have no idea what the muck monster is. So, kind of, kind of fill us in on what that's all about. Because that's sort of right up Sasquatch and Small Town Monsters Alley and stuff like that. Sure. So um, I don't remember the specifics. I know that it was probably eighty four, eighty five, um, and there was a, an artist, an author. He lived in the Hartsville area, which is where I grew up, Hartsville, Ohio. Um, and he created a coloring book and basically the mythology of what he called the muck monster. At the time, Hurtville had one or two stoplights, had a Burger King, and on Sunday mornings, the Amish dominated the streets. <laughs> so it was a very, uh, water town that we moved into. I moved, uh, in 82 from Milwaukee, Wisconsin to Hurtville, Ohio. Um, because my dad got transferred. And so it was a big adjustment for us, even though I was so little. Um, but one of the things uh, with Hurtville, being the rural um, community that it was, it was surrounded by muck farms, um, peat and bog, different stuff that they would grow vegetables and whatnot in. And so the this author, and I wish I could remember his name, but he... Um, basically created a mythology that um, some chemical truck had an accident on Swamp Road, which ran right through the muck farms, and the chemicals mixed with the the swamp, and the muck monster was born. And he was actually a friendly monster, Um, despite being called a monster. He was a friendly creature that um, I can remember when I met him, it was at some... Halloween activity, and he was pan- there was someone dressed up like him handing out candy. He had a little dog as a mascot or like a sidekick, <laughs> I guess. And uh, that's about all I re- really remember about him from my childhood, other than I still have the coloring book to this day. And sometime in the mid, maybe like 2005, somewhere around there, I was at a show up in that up in that area. And he was there. It been the first time that the creator had really done anything in like 20 years. And he was there and he was trying to gauge whether there was some interest or not. And I don't honestly know that there was because I haven't heard anything <laughs> about it since. Okay. Um, but I do recall so that in my neighborhood that I grew up in, there were some guys that had a monster truck. Um, you know, and this was back in the days where Bigfoot was an actual monster truck name as well. There was a muck monster, monster truck that um, actually was in my neighborhood. That's where the guys lived, and they worked on that truck uh, all the time when it wasn't racing. So, cool. Um, got to watch that and hang out with them in their garage and stuff too as they grew <laughs> up, which was always really exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. 
I just had no clue about that. But that's really, that's fun. And I think that, um, you know, that goes right in line with a lot of the things that we're interested in here, just in terms of like local folklore. In this case, it was entirely invented, but that's that's still pretty cool. Um, Brian, you have got a lot of things going on, like um, between the sculpting and the music and stuff. Kind of walk us through, if you can, you know, what came first and kind of what you're doing now, um, you know, and then what I'd like to get into after that a little bit is just your experience at some of these uh, crypto conferences and elsewhere. But but first, how did you get to a point where you are, you know, it, your business is making cool toys and making good music? Yeah, thank you. Um it has definitely been a long and strange path. Uh, when I was growing up, I was always musically inclined and artistically inclined um, with drawing and stuff. And I took some classes in high school, um, nothing real serious as far as art courses go. I was in the school band throughout. But when I got to college, I joined a rock band. And so I was in a band for the four years and we were playing out whenever we could, but I was also taking uh, various studies, of course, because I was supposed to be in college, and one <laughs> of those studies, I actually got ended up with a minor in um, art, and with a, basically a concentration in sculpting, and I did a lot of jewelry making, and some different smaller type pottery and whatnot, um, just really just kind of more of a, a stress release something different that I enjoyed doing that wasn't part of the regular curriculum um, that I needed to do for my my degrees. And so um, what turned into, you know, just something to do for fun, I ended up getting enough credit hours to make it an actual minor. But I didn't do anything with it. And um, after, shortly after, a couple years after um, graduation and after marriage and after moving around a little bit, um, and the band was gone, but I was still working with local bands, promoting them. And this is kind of, this was in uh, 1997 through 99, where the music scene, the local music scene was really changing. And people were basically demanding, hey, I, I saw you at a show, I paid to come in, I want your recording, um, or I'm going to forget about you. It was essentially what the market was like. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, we started doing uh, CDs and stuff, and I started pr uh, producing, was hiring studios um, and studio time, and I would go in there, I'd be a, a producer, and I would, uh, you know, we would just work on the music, and then um, when it came time to, we needed to put this music out, I basically decided that I was doing it, but I needed to have a name, so um, came up with Bailey, Bailey Records, and that was in 1999. We were really going strong with music until about 2007. During that time, I was pri the primary artist on the label doing soundtracks. Um, one of the things I, I've always loved about movies in particular was their scores, their music. Um, that's where I find all the emotion, um, and I find that really drives the story. And um, throughout the years, in 2000, I was asked to do a film soundtrack, and then in 2001, I was asked to do a score for an independent horror film. And so I just kind of really 
continue to pursue that, and that's where the name Stratos came from, or, or that's where Stratos was born. That's my music persona in 2000, and uh, was putting music out, and eventually started putting music out to another one of my passions, which was role-playing games and tabletop miniatures games. Uh, people were always gaming to movie soundtracks. Uh, such as Lord of the Rings or whatever, when they would play Dungeons and Dragons. So um, I just kind of got the idea that, hey, I should make music for gaming. And so I've worked with numerous publishers over the years to make uh, licensed soundtracks for their games. And that continued to evolve into wanting to make my own game. And so in 2010, I launched Kaiju Chaos, a tabletop, tabletop miniatures game. And one of the things that evolved out of Kaiju Chaos was needing um, my own original miniatures, and I just couldn't afford to pay people to keep sculpting for me. So I started taking on that myself, and in 2013, I put on my first miniature that I had sculpted. And now I'm primarily uh, the only sculptor. And I've been doing that and really enjoying that and still working on music. Last year, I put out a second soundtrack for Kaiju Chaos. And I do a lot of music for Kickstarter uh, commercials um, and videos, promotional videos, uh, both for myself but also for various clients. I'll, I'll edit the videos and, and make music for them. And so just keeping busy, kind of doing it all, kind of bringing it all together. Um, from childhood interests uh, in art and, and gaming um, and music and kind of threw it all together and here I am almost 20 years later still doing it all um, on a semi-professional basis. Nice. And that brings us up to the the very present time where you have something called Crypto Orbs. Tell us about Crypto Orbs and... Uh, sort of the time frame with that as far as uh, if somebody would be interested in those. Okay. Um, yeah, um, CryptoOrbs are my new new thing. Um, I have not abandoned um, Kaiju Chaos or the music or anything else, but I just kind of wanted to do something different. I wanted um, basically to make some true toys instead of making gaming pieces that could also be collectible toys. And one of the things I had been hearing and reading about on the internet was the resurgence of Mad Balls, which was a favorite toy of mine from the, the <laughs> childhood. Um, you know, gross little baseball-sized creatures. <laughs> and I liked them. And I thought, man, what can I do to make some kind of a modern Mad Ball? And it actually hit me two days before Minerva Monster um, showed this ball. Um, it just kind of hit me. I was like, I'm going to make cryptid or legendary lore-type monster um, mad balls. And so I was thinking about it and just trying to figure out how to, to, to do that. And I happened to go to the grocery store the next day, and I saw some ping-pong balls that were on sale for a dollar on an end cap. And I was like, oh, that'll be the perfect size because I didn't want to make them too big because mm -hmm. I knew being homemade toys that they end up being pretty expensive and I wanted to try to keep the cost down to the consumer. And so I bought six ping pong balls and, and that night I actually started sculpting 
um, a Bigfoot, and I decided to do Krampus because, of course, it was coming up on the holiday season, and even though Krampus is not a cryptid, he is a legendary lore-type creature that I'm I always fascinated with, and so I figured it would be a good, good place to start. Um, so, actually, at Minerva Monster Day the, on that Saturday, I kind of showed off some pictures of some stuff to a few people that I know, and they were all like, yeah, that's a great idea. So I just kind of ran with it. And in December, I released Krampus. Um, right now, Bigfoot is on pre-order, and he'll be uh, released without pre-order um, in a couple of weeks, the beginning of February. And my, my ambitious schedule is to release a new one every other month this year just to kind of see how the market goes. And I'm, I'm doing not just cryptids. I'm, I'm doing what I, I call them spheres of legend and lore. Um, so the next one is Kappa, the, the yokai, the Japanese yokai creature. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that is Mothman. All and right. from there I'm working out a bunch of ideas, um, including a couple of originals. But um, all of those are kind of work in progress or, like I said, completed and available now. And, it, and it's been going well. Uh, it's been pretty well received. Right now it's only been online, and it's only been about two months. Um, but I'm looking forward to taking them to shows this spring and see how they are received in person when people can actually see them and hold them. Because they're about two, two and a half inches in diameter. So they're not huge, um, but they're a, they're a nice, hefty, solid uh, resin ball. And they come in, I have them in eight different colors. So yeah, I'm pretty excited about them. Awesome. So you have, at this point, you've gotten quite a circuit behind you of, of uh, like, let's just say crypto-themed uh, conventions and, and uh, other meetup opportunities. What's sort of your overall perspective on those conferences? Like the, the people that you've met or just some stories that, you know, come to your mind immediately about some of the places that you've seen? Because you've hit, you know, some of the big name places like Point Pleasant and uh, Flatwoods, uh, Braxton County and things like that. What's your overall take on the, the cryptozoology uh, conference world? Yeah. Um, I, I find that the, the people there um, are very excited, very passionate about why they're there. If it's a Bigfoot show, they're very passionate about Bigfoot and, and about cryptids in general, but, you know, Bigfoot. And um, in some cases, um, while there are casual fans there, it seems to be a definite drawing of um, diehard. Um, true believers, and I think that's really cool. And they're definitely, um, I'm going to use the word hungry, Um, they are definitely hungry for or passionate with buying stuff that is related, Um, you know, whether it's My Little Bigfoot figurines um, or um, My Friend's Patches or other guys' T-shirts or whatever. I think, you know, it's a way to embrace their their passion um, within the fandom of it. And that is always, that's been really exciting. Um, with shows that I, I was doing heavily before, 
um, really getting into the cryptid market, um, you know, game shows or, or whatnot. I was kind of a, a small fish in the big sea in some ways, or giant monster games weren't, wasn't conventional um, to what was going on there. You know, people were either used to playing um, a hard science fiction game or they were used to playing a fantasy type game. And mine kind of blends all of that together in a modern day setting. Um, and while there's certainly fans of it, um, you know, like I said, I, I, I kind of felt like maybe I was just kind of lost in the crowds. But now that I've moved to some of these other shows where people are really into monsters and creatures that go bump in the night, um, the reception has been great, both in my stuff, but also just I enjoy um, meeting and talking to people. They definitely, um, at these shows, because they definitely um, have a passion for, for what, they, what they do. And um, I would say that's even the same for even the bigger shows. Um, like I've done... You know, I had a Bigfoot conference last year, and of course, even in its name, it's Bigfoot. Um, and definitely, uh, I, I would consider it a diehard Bigfoot fan show. Um, people who are believers, people who, who are into Bigfoot and all things Bigfoot. Um, whereas Mothman, which is a much larger attendance, um, is set right there where the, the Mothman um, legend was born in Point Pleasant, uh, but it's also a street fair or a festival, and so you get people who are the casual people who are just in it to browse and look around or want uh, yummy street food, um, or, you know, take, a, take, a, take in a day of rain or shine, but just enjoying the thousands of people that are walking the streets. Um, and it being an outdoor festival it definitely has a different feel from, say, the Bigfoot Conference. And when I went to... Um, Flatwoods this past May. Um, that was fun. That was different from all of them because it was actually billed as a gaming show. So it was a gaming convention. But the Braxton County Visitors Bureau um, was there, and they have a rather nice-sized collection of Flatwoods monster memorabilia and toys and, and whatnot, and they had a lot of it on display, um, including a really cool costume. And so they were there trying to bring in more of that cryptid uh, flavor. And I was there kind of representing both because um, I had got all of my cryptid toys and I've got my game aspect of it. And we were actually running all weekend long a Mothman versus Flatwoods Monster <laughs> game. And it was, it was quite fun. Uh, definitely well received and people were, were loving it. And, and it, Again, it was really fun to be down there, um, to cool. actually get down there. And so who won? Knew that I had, uh, who won? I think um, <laughs> it was pretty uh, pretty even because we, you know, we played a game. It was Country uh, Cat Smackdown, so it lasts about 20 minutes. And I think it was pretty even back and forth as to who was winning. Okay. I know early on Flatwoods was winning a lot, but then Mothman <laughs> seemed to come back. He rallied back. It's like a good monster movie, right? I mean, they yeah, fight exactly. to a draw. That's awesome. Does anybody ever come up to you at the conventions and just like start sharing sightings with you or anything weird like that? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and that that's definitely something new um, for me to <laughs> to be part of because um, 
just, you know, especially because they're complete strangers, and those come up to you, and they, they want their story to be heard, and I guess that's yeah. anybody. Um, and, of course, really, I'm there as a vendor, so I want my stuff to be seen and sold. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of an interesting people just walking up to me and telling me their story, their sighting story. Um, in some cases, not even ever looking at my stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely, it's cool. And then again, I, I really, I think that that passion um, is just really neat um, to see these people, especially, and I think, you know, there's a comfort zone there because at least the majority of everyone there is a believer um, to, to one degree or another. And so people feel free to be able to share their, their opinions or their um, experiences. And that's cool too, mm-hmm. um, to be in a, So, Brian, I was wondering, you kind of earlier touched on your interest in movies. Is there a favorite crypto movie that you have? Oh, that's, that's a hard one, because honestly, I haven't seen too many movies. I've been trying to watch more. Um, I um, have been a Kickstarter supporter of Small Town Monsters and, and love all of their movies. Um, so I'll give them a, a, a shout out. That's definitely, they do some top notch stuff and uh, I really like, uh, the guys and whatnot. So I think that's, um, definitely really cool. And I do, uh, the legend of Boggy Creek is definitely a cool monster or cool monster movie, but a cool movie. Um, uh, aside from that, I honestly haven't seen too many. Um, but again, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, trying to get more into the actual movies. For me, it's been a lot of reading, uh, reading online, um, reading magazines, reading books, um, like Lyle Blackburn's books and, and the, the new Cryptic Culture magazine. I love that magazine. That's cool. So um, that that's where I've been. I get most of my inspiration or ideas. Yeah, that's, that's awesome because we were going to go in that direction too, is talking about books and Lyle Blackburn's are, you know, they're right there at the top as some of the best. And um, there's a new journal that's going to be on the the Bigfoot bookshelf here pretty soon that we're going to review called Woodknocks. And it's a volume um, where uh, Lyle Blackburn contributed an article, Linda Godfrey contributed an article, and there's a number of other very prominent authors as well. And there's just a... The thing that's amazing to me is that there's such an overabundance of resources these days, whereas in the past, you know, sometimes Bigfoot material was as elusive as the creature itself. Um, now you've got just manifold opportunities to really read whatever you want to. And that's always been an entry point for me as well into the phenomenon is the people who took the time to write the, down their experiences of research and so forth. So that's cool. Um, you know what? Let's transition into the theoretical, if we can. Okay. You know, you well, let's start with the Yeti, since you said that um, the Yeti is your favorite. What do you think the Yeti really is? What, in your own opinion, you know, these sightings in uh, in the Himalayas and and uh, the foothills and all that. What's going on there uh, as people? Uh, see the Yeti. What are they encountering? Yeah. 
Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I like to think, and I like to believe that it really is some kind of a, a Bigfoot-type uh, creature, whether it's a smaller four-foot-tall one or a larger seven-foot-tall one. I do like to think that it is some kind of hairy hominid, human, you know, man-type ape. Um, but I do think it could be one of these so-called wild men um, that... Um, seem to pop up just as much in theory um, and in reports. Um, some kind of a primitive culture that somehow has managed to elude the modern world. Um, and, uh, you know what? I presumably by choice, um, because they, you know, obviously there have been some sightings um, of something, and there's so there's been encounters, and I think that um, they could. Um, you know, be more interactive if they wanted to, um, but, uh, you know, choose to run away, to be elusive. What do you think is the best evidence for Bigfoot that we've got? Um, well, I mean, I guess probably the footprints. Um, footprints and footprint molds, um, to me, seem like there's got to be something. I mean, I know there's been a few that have been debunked over the years, but um, it seems like that is, something's making these footprints. Um, and there are some photos that I've seen that I'm like, I can't even make that out as a footprint, but I'll believe you that there's something there, but there are some that seem really clear, um, clear as day to me in a photograph that um, they, they's, that's got to be a footprint. Of something, um, you know. I wish we had um, the DNA sampling abilities of the, some of the few hair um, specimens that they've got gathered over the years, or whatever. But I guess, to my knowledge, the the hair is so old or whatever and brittle that it won't undergo proper testing. Or even if it does, what are we going to compare it to? I don't know. Exactly. Um, but uh, you know, I would eyewitness accounts. Um, but I, are, are great, and, and I want to believe them all. Um, but I think that the footprint's probably the most um, tangible evidence. As a sculptor, is does that help you sort of in identifying footprints and stuff like that? I, maybe do you, are there things that you look for, having you know spent a lot of time manipulating forms and sort of knowing what different body parts are like? Yeah, I mean, to a degree, I think um, that that's, that is really important um, for knowing anatomy and, and kind of looking at how something might, um, you know, is that real? Is that possible? The way it, those prints are um, laid on the ground or whatever, is that even physically possible or, um, you know, whatnot? Uh, I, I think that because I am a sculptor and a ta I like the tangible, um, it, it all kind of does play in with itself uh, in that regard. I think that, you know, all the photographs and stuff, that kind of information and artistic renderings or, um, you know, even the old 50s newspaper drawings and scans of them and stuff that you can find online and stuff, they always amaze me. I, I love uh, to look at those things. It always amazes me that somehow someone came up with this idea. 
you know, I feel like today so much of, uh, well, it's pretty much a fact, but so much of Hollywood is just, um, we're just remaking everything that we've had already done, mm -hmm. um, for good or bad. But at some point, you know, way back, everything was original. And so seeing some of these old drawings from the, the newspapers and whatnot, when, uh, like, you know, is this, what is this monster or whatever, or reading its physical description, it's like, wow, that is some really crazy idea that that person had, whether they saw it for real or they made it up completely. You know, it came from somewhere, the idea did, and that's what was fascinating, too. So do you have, personally, a favorite report or story that you've heard before? Or maybe it's, you know, someone has told you it, so if you want to leave something out, but <laughs> what is... A favorite sighting report of yours? Um, I, don't know, I guess I think the, the the Flatwoods monster. While I've never, um, you know, heard a firsthand account because it was so long ago, but just reading and studying and learning about that creature um, is has always been really fascinating to me. the The idea of uh, burn marks and whatnot at a tree and just the, the overall design of the character is so unique and different. Um, and I guess assuming that it's an alien and not necessarily indigenous cryptid to, you know, earth, um, based on its crazy design. Um, but it's definitely something that's really different. And I, and I think that's always a really cool one. Another, uh, favorite is a, another a localized one here is, uh, the Loveland Frogman, which, doesn't get much love, uh, despite his name. <laughs> um, he's definitely overlooked a lot. Um, but again, another weird little creature um, with some fun um, stories. Uh, and, you know, from around the same time, the late 50s and whatnot, that, uh, you know, inspired me. I, I sculpted, he was one of the characters I sculpted for the game and, and, and to sell as a figurine because uh, he's just a fun little creature. Man. <laughs> who who wouldn't want one really is the <laughs> right. question so um well uh, i was just going to ask you uh like with the kaiju chaos figures that you've made how many of those have ended up being having sort of a cryptozoological origin and which ones have you made i know that you've done a bigfoot and a yeti but what are some of the other ones trying to count real quick. Let's see, I've got in re released, um, I've got two different Bigfoots. I've got one that's just, I just call them Bigfoot, and the other one I, is actually I designed as the Minerva Monster. Um, I've got, in the Yeti. Um, I've got Mothman, Flatwoods Monster, and Loveland Frogman. <laughs> um, I think that's it. I've got a Elasmosaurus Waterline Monster that I also, uh, Mark is nasty. Um, it's bigger um, than the other guys, but um, equally as popular. Um, and right now on my on my uh, workbench, I've got two different variations of a lizard man and another Bigfoot and potentially some other characters. So, Sounds good. Two, actually, out of the 30 now SmackDown figures, um, one-fifth of them in release are cryptids. Hmm, that's awesome. 
Um, so, you know, as I listen to you talk, Brian, and sort of survey everything that you have produced and put out there, I get the impression that cryptids for you, if I had to say what you think about them, um, the word fun keeps popping up in my mind. Is that, do I have that right? Is that sort of your ultimate take on all these things is that it should be fun? Absolutely. I think it's it's a great distraction from our otherwise crazy world that we live in. Um, and for me personally, I, I find a lot of enjoyment in it. when I'm reading something. Um, you know, I tend to grab, like I said earlier, I'll, you know, I'll grab a cryptid book or magazine um, before I would grab something else. I, I like to read about them. So it's both, I guess, you could say educational, but also um, it's, it's, it's entertaining um, and informative. And I, and I think that that's, that's cool. And I think that, um, you know, I, life can be too serious at so many times. And you know, while I, I hope and I want to believe that all these things are real, um, and I hope that someone someday, especially in this uh, era now of everyone having a and, you know, camera in their pocket that we can actually get some real evidence hmm. soon. Um, I just need that um, entertainment value, that um, fantastic departure from an otherwise bleak reality at times. Brian, if somebody wants to check out your stuff or even uh, place an order, how do they get to your site and where where would you like them to go? Okay. Um easiest way, um, kind of my, while not always updated um, catch-all, is just to go to baileyrecords.com, and that's B-A-I-L-E-Y-R-E-C-O-R-D-S.com, um, and it's basically my catch-all website for everything, and across the top of it, it's got um, links to my store and the account, which is where I saw all of my cryptorbs and my Smackdown, uh, KaijuCast Smackdown minifigures. It's also got my list of shows and where you can buy my CDs and music, um, links to tell you more about KaijuCast and Stratos. Um, and I'm still, I've got to launch the page yet for Cryptorbs, but um, it'll be on there soon. But another place, too, I'm very active on uh, social media, Facebook especially. I've got pages for everything. So Kaiju Chaos, Bailey Records, Stratos, and Cryptorbs all have different pages on there that I keep updated better than I do the website. But they're all linked from the website as well. Nice. Um, you got some shows coming up if people want to um, come and talk to you and give you their crazy stories. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Uh, my first show is a new one this year. Um, they invited me out, so I, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to go. It's in Dayton, and it is uh, Daycon Game Day, and it's February 18th um, in Dayton. And there's a link right off my homepage for it. Um, and then after that is April 1st, again in Dayton. I'll be at Gem City Comic Con, which is a, a favorite local show of mine. I've been doing it for like eight years now. Um, I will have all of my... Kaiju Chaos and Cryptorbs and whatnot there for people to look at and buy. Um, I definitely would love to meet with people and, and hear their stories and, um, you know, just have a good time. Very cool. 
one of the great sort of benefits or rewards, if you will, of getting into this whole subject to the depth that we have is uh, we, we end up meeting really cool people and uh, considering them our friends. And you are definitely in that number. So thank you uh, for being a part of our lives in this sort of fun, wild pursuit. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. It's, uh, it's definitely been a pleasure um, getting to know you guys over the years as well, um, you know, with both G-Fest and Cryptids. So yes. um, I appreciate all that you've done for me, and, uh, you know, and I appreciate our friendship, and I look forward to a long life of friendship together. All right. Great. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Well, that was our conversation with Brian. Any final thoughts, Andy, that you want to share there? I really enjoyed the that interview, hearing his creative process, hearing about crypto orbs. I'm really looking forward to those. Um, just hearing about his view on it, I agree with him completely that this whole crypto kaiju thing should be about fun, not... I mean, you should take some elements seriously. Like, for him, it's a business. But you should have fun. This is, when you look at it, and it's pretty much how he looks at it, you're looking at it, you're looking for legendary legend creatures. You have to have that sense of fun. You, It's not all serious. You have to be serious, but you have to be funny with it. You have to enjoy it. And being able to have a little figurine of Bigfoot, really kind of helps with that. It helps go, this, you know, I can easily acquire those. And, you know, it adds that little bit of of fun that, you know, you need the, the happiness. And, like, then hearing the wacky stories like he was talking about, we've gotten those before, and you're like, thank you for telling me this. Why did you tell me this? And it's that element that, you know, some people do need a listening ear with this type of, the subject and if I can or he can deliver that it's really it's really an honor to be able to be that well my son had this ghost story person like the person you can tell it to mm-hmm. it's it's just it, really an honor yeah I love what he said and I like you said I think it's absolutely true that what these conferences provide is a safe place for people to come and tell their story and know that they're not going to be ridiculed and you're right it is an honor because it's something that is profoundly personal and nobody wants to be made fun of for having an experience you had no control over. Mm-hmm. So I, I really liked what he said and, and I couldn't agree with you more on that note. So, for Seth Breedlove and Small Town Monsters, for Brian Borgman and Bailey Records, for all those who are on the track of Bigfoot, this is Mark and Andy Matsky. Enjoy the quest.